0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Free Domain Radio Sunday show. Steph is not here this week. He's out doing his um, tour. Uh, Mike, if you know exactly where that is, feel free to chime in.
1: He is in Belize, and last night he gave a rousing speech on the history of good and evil. He's going to be coming back in a couple days, but yeah, right now he's down in Belize, so we have a guest host, don't we, James?
0: Yes, we do. Yes. (laughs) Yes. A little banter, right? Yes, we have a guest host this week. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Dana Martin. Dana.
2: Hi. Thank you guys for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm excited to be guest hosting the Freedom Main Radio Sunday call-in show. Uh, it's been an incredible couple months since my first appearance where on Steph's show where he interviewed me. I've come in connection with so many of his audience you know, people signing up for unschooling coaching classes and just sending me questions, and I've been pulled into this incredible group of people, and I've learned so much. And one thing that I've noticed that really stands out at me compared to the people that I've worked with over the last decade with parenting is the incredibly nurturing fathers that are part of Steph's audience. I've never—I mean, generally, I've, I work with with families, but a lot of the times it's with mothers as a childbirth educator and doula and parenting. Um, author. But wow, this is the the dads that I've come in contact with, the most loving, nurturing men that I ever have spoken with before. So most of my coaching calls have been with fathers, which is a whole new realm for me, but I'm loving it. I'm loving you dads. So um, great. We we have a lot of questions that were sent in, but we're going to start with the call-in questions. And so anytime, guys, you can just... Call in, ask and there's no question that's that's stupid or too silly or anything like that. Don't be afraid just to call because I'm here to help. So um I'll introduce you to the concepts of partnership parenting. I've noticed that a lot of people on this path are really aware of of how they don't want to be controlled by the government and they want to live in partnership on certain levels, but when it comes to their children, they're they're not applying these concepts with their family. So I'm here to help you bring it home and um, you know, learn how to treat your children in the way that you want to be treated yourself. So let's jump right in, guys. What's the first caller's question?
0: All right, first caller today we have is Damon.
3: Hello, Hi, Damon. Dana. Can you hear me? I can. Wonderful. Oh my gosh, I'm very excited, although I think I've got twice as many nerves as you probably do. Um, <laughs> I'm actually really impressed how quickly you've jumped into this uh, community. I've been listening for about a year and a half To Steph, and before that, some unschooling and and freedom schooling stuff. And when I heard you were going to be on, I've been lurking around for a year, but haven't actually called in. And you inspired me to call in. Maybe that's a little more approachable than Steph, maybe.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome! Thank you.
3: Oh, thank you. Um, So I emailed or I put on Facebook ahead of time for this show uh, that I had this earlier this week a very powerful. Um, experience in watching, catching up on some old movies I wanted to see, and one, one of the movies was Where the Wild Things Are, which I think came out a couple of years ago. Um, what, what hit me hard for that, the, for those of, it wasn't a very popular movie, so maybe not very many people have seen it, but it centers around a boy who is very heavily traumatized in a single parent household, very disrespectfully parented, and he retreats into his own dreams or subconscious, and most of the movie happens with the child um, basically running around his internal world um, trying to fight with his conflicting emotions. And basically what hit me so hard is he doesn't have any tools or guide, guide map or any, um, any methodology with which to explore his inner world. He's sort of dropped off in this island completely unprepared for the torments that are happening in his head. And that's something I deeply connected with get any emotional education growing up so I'm, I'm at 34 years old just barely starting that emotional self-education so I wanted to hear a little bit about your family and how you all approach your children learning about their internal world because that's something I don't think I've heard very much about
2: um do you I, I saw your review on the on the movie and i was so impressed with how detailed it was and i and i loved it it was really moving um I, I i'd love if everybody could read what you wrote about that movie you should check it out if you're listening um it was i've not i haven't seen the movie myself but i'm familiar, familiar with the book and um when you say my children's internal internal world are you saying their imaginary world or i'm not i'm not really sure exactly what you're asking can you elaborate
3: absolutely um I guess uh, Steph talks about a concept called the miko system or uh, internal parts where each person you meet becomes sort of an echo in your head. So a lot of us know that we can hear like our parents talking to us in in our head during certain situations. And I think that's what I saw in the movie, that the, the child had different characters in his dream or in his subconscious that very much directly represented major people in his life. So abstractions of, of the mother figure, or of the crazy sister, or of uh, other types of people. And it's, it's that echoing of other people's thoughts where you can have an entire inner dialogue in your head playing multiple sides of a conversation. Um, I think we're all used to that as adults, and I bet children absolutely do the same thing in their heads. And I guess uh, I guess the question is denying that. And swooping under the rug, which is something I experienced. Which is, you know, there's only one answer to any problem, and you really shouldn't talk about your the fact that you're conflicted. Uh, maybe that's very foreign to you. <laughs> well,
2: know. no, I mean, and, and I'm I'm reaching back to my own childhood, so I know what you mean. I, you know, I think our conditioning, how we were raised, and you know that we were trained to obey everybody around us and to meet the adults' needs. And our needs usually came last or weren't even thought of. We were trained to meet the parents' needs, the teachers' needs, everybody else's needs, first and foremost, uh, especially for obedience and compliance. But raising the children, my children the way that we are, it's really a different process for them. I encourage them to listen to their inner voice. And they are whole people who have never been broken down to need to obey. So I'm hoping that their inner world consists of their inner voice, which I feel like it's it's one of the true human true human um, needs that are so disrespected in our culture, that the basic need for and, and right to have what's in your mind and to own your own thoughts are robbed from us as children. So, uh, you know, I know that what you're saying is that we hear all these other voices that are influential, but I think that if a child's left and respected in the way that we're hoping to raise our children, that we're trying to raise our children through a partnership paradigm, that their voice is the loudest.
3: that'd be amazing and that that's something that I I think I see that if this child was going through a very chaotic over-the-top experience so his inner thoughts were very chaotic and over-the-top and so if we can be as calm and peaceful and respectful in real life as possible then the child's inner thoughts is going are going to be calm peaceful and respectful even if still obviously complicated.
2: (laughs) Well, love is the basis for so much. And when love is conditional, which is traditionally how most of us were raised, love was conditional based on how well we obeyed, how well we performed, whether we jumped through certain hoops, then we were graded and measured and compared. And we only loved ourselves when other people told us it was okay to because they approved of us. And so we're always turning to external sources to say that we're good and that we're whole and that we're okay. And then moving forward where uh, my, my dream for my children and my my utmost hope is that they never need to do that. So, um, yeah, that's a really powerful question. It's got me thinking a lot. I'd love to elaborate on this in a blog entry or something. It's great. That's wonderful. So thank you for your question very much. And thanks for calling in. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Wow. A, uh, that's really incredible. I've never looked at the movie from the way that he wrote about it on his blog. Um, he sent me the link and it was really, a. Uh, Powerful got me reflecting back to emotional abuse and um, that many of us have faced through control, and um, yeah, incredible stuff. So let's. Uh, are there any more callers waiting?
0: Uh, we don't have any more callers at the moment. Um, and just a minor note: it seems like you might have the mic right in the path of your breath. So, if it's possible to move the mic a bit or move to the side a bit.
2: Okay, you don't want me heavy breathing into the mic. Okay, no problem.
0: <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I mean, normally with Steph, you know, we we make you know he he. <laughs> uh, okay. You know, better at that sort of thing than I am. <laughs> we'll I'll look.
2: get the I'll get the hang of it here. We we don't want that kind of show, so I get it.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, James, uh, if there's no other caller on the line, I I have a question for Dana. No, no.
2: Sure. Sure.
1: Uh, Dana, I mean. You know, when I was growing up, I never really envisioned myself getting married, and I never really envisioned myself having kids because of that. And I was very adamant that, you know, I, I don't want kids. I don't want kids. And mostly that was due just to the fact I didn't have a very happy childhood, and I hadn't really figured that out yet. And, and now that, you know, I've met someone that I want to spend the rest of my life with that I married, and, you know, I just – I wake up every single day, and I can't wait to spend time with her. I, I actually have someone that I want to give children to. And – you know, I always, I was always concerned and terrified that, as if I was a parent, I would make a mistake. You know, I would do something wrong. I would, I would mess my kids up. I would, you know, because I wouldn't know what to do. And I think that led would lead me initially to. Um, I always thought I'd be more of a like, really overly permissive parent, if there is such a thing. And, you know, I, I've watched, I've watched the way uh, Steph parents. And one of the things that he does that I find really fascinating, it was never even an option on the table for me, um, was he, he communicates on a regular basis about his own preferences. And, you know, to kind of let his daughter know that, you know, in addition to, you know, she obviously has preferences, but other people around her have preferences as well. And those, those need to be taken into consideration. And I was that just floored me because I never even thought that that would be an option to actually have the kind of dialogue with your child. And I was just wondering if you could talk about your own experience with that. And um, because I I can imagine that, um, you know, I'm not sure what what age that's appropriate to start with or just what thoughts you have on that subject, because I I found it completely and totally fascinating when uh, I observed it in Steph's behavior.
2: Yeah, I think it varies from child to child and and you knowing your child best, what they're able to understand and comprehend at various ages. I mean, one of the best ways for children to learn that other people's needs matter is to show them that their needs matter. Just as much mm-hmm. as yours. I mean, we live in a culture, again, like I've shared, that puts the parents' needs first for, on every level, and so you're modeling narcissism through parenting traditionally, and that's how children become narcissistic. We say that uh, all the time that we live in a culture of narcissists, but yet, what's so interesting is people will, will then turn and blame me and say, "Oh, you're you're going to raise your children to be narcissistic," and they're not even, um, but by meeting their needs and by valuing them, and it's completely the opposite. So um i would definitely say that modeling is first and foremost the most important thing to me that just children learn what they live we've all heard that but rarely do people actually apply that concept to their families so um <laughs> just just showing them their needs matter too and and you know i think it's interesting because we live in an authoritarian paradigm traditionally and the pendulum is swung in that direction and when people know what they don't want to do when they come to this life they tend to let the pendulum swing completely in the other direction to com- to being completely child led and they put their own needs on the back burner and they become martyrs and they run around meeting their child's needs relentlessly without ever taking the consideration of meeting their own and that's not balance that's not unschooling and that's not respectful peaceful parenting that's completely on the other end of it. So what you want to do is let the pendulum come into that beautiful middle place where you're respecting the child's needs and the parent's needs equally. And it takes time. This is definitely not for the lazy parent when you're finding win-win situations in your relationship with your child. So everyone's needs matter. And I think verbalizing that is different authentically for everybody that's coming to this life. Steph may verbalize it in a different way than I might. It's about being authentic. We're not following a parenting script We're being ourselves and communicating in the way that feels most authentic and best to us about our needs. So yeah, I love that he does that. That's great.
1: Well, I find that to be super empowering, just <laughs> the fact that there's not a script. I, I've read all these parenting books and I remember I was like looking for this script. All right, well, what's the appropriate thing to say in this situation? Or what's the appropriate thing to say in that situation? And it was just so much pressure because I needed an answer in my mind to every question that could conceivably be asked and that's obviously not possible (laughs) and um, you know just being able to look at it from a a negotiation standpoint and trying to do what's best for everyone involved and I feel so much more comfortable and safe with the idea of being a parent um, and just being able to have fun with it and enjoy spending time with my child and not be terrified of the next question that comes out of their mouth which was my uh, my earlier concern. Um, when I even had the inkling of potentially becoming a parent. So,
2: Yeah, and it's okay. It's, I think the authenticity is the basis for this type of parenting for me. You know how how I communicate with my kids authentically um, is how they're going to learn to be their authentic selves. I don't need to follow any peaceful parenting script. I don't need to be anything that I'm not. I don't need to say things in the quote unquote right way because I can always do do overs. I can always apologize and say, eh, you know, scratch that. I didn't mean to respond like that. Here's how I really wanted to to share this information. So you you can always do it over um, and apologize to your children. I think we live in a culture that thinks that if you apologize to your kids, that you're, you look weak in their eyes or we are, we're told that never to do that because they'll manipulate you if they see that you're weak and they'll, um, you know, try to, to use you in a way that you wouldn't appreciate, but that's just not true in my experience at all. I, I think awesome authenticity is everything. And when I'm an authentic person, my children learn to be too.
1: Well, I'm so glad you said that about making mistakes because I mean, not just in you know a parent-child relationship but in friendships and you know romantic relationships i i think it's so powerful to feel comfortable being able to make a mistake you know as long as you talk about it afterwards and you own up to the mistake that you made and you know a dialogue can happen you know i think it's so powerful to just be comfortable making mistakes and then being able to um you know, model that behavior to your kids. That, you know, you don't have to be terrified to make a mistake. I mean, I, you know, I think that was it was modeled to me when I was younger that, you know, it's it's not it's not good to make mistakes. Don't make mistakes. That's that's very, very bad. But, you know, if if you admit when you make a mistake and you can talk about it with your children, I think that right there is doing them an enormous service just by showing them, Hey, you know, it's, it's okay to mess up. Sometimes it's going to happen. Life happens. It's uh, you know, things aren't going to go perfectly as long as you can talk about it and take responsibility for it. Everything's going to be okay.
2: Yeah, completely. And when it comes to what you shared about not initially wanting to be a parent, I think if you're, when you're looking at parenting through, a traditional sense of having to be become this authority that controls somebody else all day and punishes. It's not a pleasant thought at all. It's not pleasant to control other people all day long and punish and reward and, and to be so inauthentic and to, to, to your inner being. I know I was never meant to be the type of parent that I saw around me. Uh, when I had my child, I just instantly connected with him and, you know, my first child. And I so wanted to meet his needs and be the best mom I could be and but I could not control him and punish him because it felt so wrong to my inner being it felt to who I was and so I I, it didn't seem fair or just to do that so I began valuing his needs from the beginning actually as much as my own and it just naturally brought me here so when you think a partnership with your child you know, you're still a leader. You're still someone someone they turn to who has a lot of experience and they, um, they trust your word, what you say, because when you're living in, with connection rather than control, you have this trust that you're not the wall between your child and their desires. You are a trusted guide and a friend that when you tell them your opinion, they believe it, they trust it. They still have the freedom to go try things out for themselves and discover things on their own. Yet when you give them information and advice, they look at you like a trusted source of information. So parenting is meant to be joyful. It's not meant to be drudgery. It's not meant to be an incredibly horrible thing where you have to mold this other human being. When you just allow them to be who they're meant to be, their authentic selves, it's, it's a very pleasurable experience. And I believe that that's like nature's best way of, um, you know, keeping the human race going. So... <laughs>
1: But I have to say, too, Dana, I am, I am so glad that, you know, you've become this, like, juggernaut out there um, leading the, the charge for unschooling and peaceful parenting. Because, yeah, parenting, I mean, I've, growing up, I really never saw any examples that made parenting look like something that was fun. It always looked like some really arduous task that was going to be frustrating and just anger-provoking. And, you know, everything that I've seen that you put out it's just like, this, this looks like a blast you know this looks this looks like a really good time and it's obviously you have really great relationships with your children and it's just totally and completely refreshing and it's it's really nice to see that becoming you know far more publicly viewable through the work that you're doing
2: yeah thank you it's been a long decade of of advocacy for this and, and in fact we've done a lot of you know, interviews on TV for the last seven years and most of which are received with a lot of negativity. People love to pull out the sensationalized aspects and say, how can somebody live without rules and isn't it chaos and all of these assumptions when um, the truth is, when you're not living by rules and you're living by principles, it's a whole different whole different concept and and much more joyful way to live. Um, somebody did ask a question on one of the boards about principles and what are my principles or what are our family principles so i'd love to elaborate on that a little is that okay at this absolutely
1: dana i could talk to you all day but
2: i'll
1: (laughs) I'll open the floor for other questions and callers Uh,
2: no thank you so much thank you well i want to share that um people are asking what are our family principles but in reality it's my personal principles and a principle internally motivates you to do things that seem good and right to the individual, so my kids develop their own principles by seeing me live and witness, you know, live in the way that I do, and witnessing the benefits of living the life that I do. So they have the freedom to form their own principles and beliefs. Uh, a rule, however, is how most people live, and that's the authoritarian parenting paradigm. But rules externally compel you through force, threat, or punishment to do something that somebody else thinks is good and right. So there's a huge difference between external compelling you to, to obey versus internal motivation to do things that feel good and right to you. Now, how would you rather your children go through this world following rules or finding their own inner beliefs of what, what's right for them? So that, that is the difference in my eyes. So my personal principles are to be a good person, to love learning. You know, I have hundreds of them just like you do. Um, and, and my children discover their own. So I hope that answers the person's question and I'm happy to elaborate if they want to call in and, and ask more specifically
0: uh, great um actually I had a question um, what and maybe this is something you've already uh, addressed elsewhere so I apologize for that but uh what shifted you to advocacy you know from doing it yourself to advocating for, for others to do it <laughs>
2: Well, it's not something I ever planned, really. I mean, I mean, I gave. I have four children, and I'll just share a little bit about that. I have four kids. I have a fourteen-year-old son, an eleven-year-old daughter, um, an eight-year-old daughter, and a five-year-old son. So two boys and two girls. And after the birth of my son, I had a natural birth with him. Which, oh my God, it's not something I ever thought I could do. I was like the biggest. Wuss, you know. When it came to pain, I I wanted a natural birth to give him the best, but I I thought for sure that I couldn't do it. I, I had no self confidence. If you would have told me that I'd be speaking in public about these kind of things, I would have never believed you. I was the type that, before an oral report in school, I would be sick the night before. I would pretend I was sick so I wouldn't have to go. I was petrified to get up in front of people because it was promoting or talking about not promoting, but talking about things that I had absolutely no interest in or no passion for. So. You know, you grow up in the school system thinking that you suck at all these things, public speaking, math, you name it. You grow up with all these feelings about yourself that are so damaging. And then you go on to discover, wait a minute, that was only because I had no interest in all the crap that they're trying to have me speak about or talk about. Now, once I became passionate about birth and and I had a natural birth, I, I was like Wonder Woman. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. Most people get drugs, and I just gave birth naturally, and I, I can't believe I accomplished that. It, it changed my life, and it made me want to empower other women to do the same thing. So I became a childbirth educator in doula, which is somebody who attends births with women. It's not a midwife, and I'm doing the medical aspect, but I'm there for emotional support, and I've been doing that for 10 years. So um, I became an advocate for birth, which led to an advocate for breastfeeding. I have been was a breastfeeding counselor for 10 years, still am. And it just kind of grew. As my children grew, my advocacy grew. Um, I didn't even know what unschooling was until I started researching homeschooling because I knew I didn't want to send my kids to school. I knew I wanted them with me. You know, I knew just the basic, basic thing that I wanted to be with my children and they wanted to be with me. And it made no sense for me to send them away because other people were telling us that that's what needed to be done. You know, Devin turned four years old and it was time for preschool. All of my friends' kids were going off to different preschools, Montessori, Waldorf, all these other places. And I I just wanted to be with Devin. I loved him and I wanted to spend every moment learning and growing and connecting. And he wanted the same. So um, I was willing to put myself in a position where I was judged, which was so hard. Oh my God. Especially with my in-laws because I was raised a, a good little girl who, you know, obeyed and and I valued myself based on what other people thought of me. That that was it. That was my entire inner being was if you if if I pleased you and you told me I was good, then I love myself. And so it was oh it twisted me so much when I I had this other being to put before my own inner need to be accepted. And that's when I knew that I had grown as a person because I was willing to be judged and to lo- be looked at and not approved of and not accepted and to not obey. And that was the beginning of everything when I said my kids matter <clears throat> way more than my need to be loved and accepted in this moment. And through doing so, I found inner love and inner peace on a, in a really deep, inter- in, you know, intrinsic level that I never knew was possible. So the first time I ever felt self-love was after I became a mother. I'm getting emotional talking about it. <laughs>
0: No, not at all. It's that, that's that's absolutely wonderful, and thank you for your thank you for.
2: So I think yeah, that was kind of the more the emotional aspect. I uh, seven years ago, somebody had posted on a message board that Dr. Phil was looking for homeschoolers to be on the show, and I said, "Ah, eh, what the hell? I'll just click on the link and I'll go fill it out. Why not?" So I clicked it on, clicked on the link, filled it out. Before I knew it, you know, a couple weeks later, I remember saying to my husband too, totally jokingly, never even really considering we'd ever be on. I yelled out to the, to the workshop and said, honey, if Dr. Phil calls, um, just so you know, I filled out a thing to be on the show and he laughed like, yeah, right. Well, I remember looking down um, at the phone when it rang a month later and it was the producers and they said, we want to know more about this unschooling. What is this? And before I knew it, our whole family was being flown out to Hollywood, much to the kind of dismay of the producers because they really wanted me on. And I said, I'm not coming without my family. And they said, uh, okay, well, we want your husband and and you on the show, and so we'll have somebody watch your kids in the green room in the back. And I said, no, 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 that's not going to work for me. My kids are not going to stay with somebody they don't know, so I need you to fly out a friend that my children know to stay with them. And so (laughs) after much ado, they did. They respected that, and it all kind of spun off from there. I began speaking at conferences and events, and I get calls to be interviewed regularly, which I absolutely love, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity, so... It just grew organically and naturally, and I, it wasn't an intention I said, I just continued on like I am now, just with the passion for telling parents that you can have a happy life with your children. You don't have to go through what you think you need to, forcing them to obey and punishing them and, and harming them emotionally and to yourself. You can live in joy and partnership. And so I'm just a messenger, <laughs> and I love doing it. So thank you for that question.
0: Thank, thank you again. Um, so next up, we have another caller today. His name is Mark. Mark, go on.
4: Yes. Hi. Um, thanks a lot uh, for taking the call, uh, Dinah. Um, yeah, I'm really um, very impressed by your work. And uh, thanks a lot for doing all that. Uh, it helps me personally personally a lot. Um, and of course, I want to congratulate you on your recent uh, appearance with Jeff Probst. I think you did it really great together with your son. So. That's oh, thank uh, amazing. You. Yeah. Thank you
2: very much, Mark.
4: Yeah, really. Uh, so so my question is, uh, many years ago, I started Sudbury uh, school before I knew about homeschooling. And um, I was left alone with uh, with uh, uh, five kids that were um, yeah, uh, uh, seriously uh, uh, neglected. And um, when I was alone with them, um, uh, we, 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 we did painting and they just dressed the paint all over the place um, and um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to use force to, to stop them, uh, but at the same time I realized that, yeah, well, that was a real mess. Um, but I, So my question is, what do you do if you're left uh, to take care with kids that are acting out uh, in such a way? How do you respond?
2: That's a really great question. I have a lot to share about that. Um, For one, you know, they, they're splashing the paint all over the place. That would be their behavior. So from this philosophical perspective, look at the needs under the behavior and talk to them about it. You know, I would just say, hey, guys, that's not cool to do in here. I don't want paint all over the place. It's, you know, it'd be a pain to clean up. But are you guys in the mood to throw paint around? Let's go somewhere you can do it. Do you guys want to go outside? I have huge sheets of paper we could pin up on a tree or outside on the side of the house and you can whip paint all over the place out there. Is that sound like a like a good plan? Would you guys like to do that? And i would I would focus on their needs. Is there a need to just like splatter paint on paper? If so, that that's a cool fun thing to do. We've done that outside. So you know, and focusing on the needs rather than the behavior, um and rather than feeling like a victim yourself and that you don't want to control, but your needs matter, communicating your needs that I really don't want paint all over the floor. It's a pain to clean up. or you know, ask them, like a lot of times you're I'm so surprised with the with the um options my kids come up with that I never think of you know maybe you could put a huge sheet of plastic down and to enable them to get a little bit more messy than than normal do you understand where I'm going with this
4: yeah excellent yeah yeah never thought of that (laughs) so that's really helpful yeah
2: it doesn't have to be your needs versus their needs because once you get locked into that power struggle, stu- uh, excuse me, once you get locked into that power struggle, it really inhibits you from getting creative and to focusing on everybody else's needs because you're locked into that you versus them mentality and you want to win and you're instantly energetically on every level pushing up against what they're trying to do and trying to desperately get your needs met instead of merging in partnership and saying, "Hey, you guys have a need, I have a need. How can we work together to to have both of our needs met?" and make make it be fun and creative and brainstorm together
4: mhm mhm mm-hmm. and um like i was also uh, some years before that babysitting and these kids uh they 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 had fun with uh, destroying my bike i also didn't know how to respond to that but is that applicable in such a situation too to focus on their needs then
2: well i mean what do you can you give me more details what did they do to well, your bike
4: uh, flattening the tires, that's not really destroying, of course, but, um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, that was that.
2: I mean, you, you don't have to approach it as an authority and scream and holler and get angry or, or, you know, threaten. You can just go up and say, oh, that's my bike. Please not do that, guys, and just roll it away. I mean, yeah. y- your needs matter. It, it's like an, your things are an extension of you, and you have the right to say in a peaceful way, what your needs are. It's okay to say, please don't do that, guys. Can, can we, you, is there something else we could do together?
4: Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, thanks a lot for that. Uh, I have another question also um, about your business model. So you um, uh, make your money by offering uh, additional services like consulting and, uh, and selling books. And I was wondering, um, have you ever considered uh, the, don- the donation business model?
2: I'm just learning about it. It's really interesting to me because I, our primary source of income is my husband's business. We make he makes wooden toys for a living, and so any money that I make is just kind of extra. So, but I've never really considered that, and I'm learning, stepping into Steph's audience, Steph's world, and learning about this. It's really intriguing to me. So I'd love to learn more.
4: Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm. Oh. So I'm curious um, how that will proceed. Then. Uh, Uh, Because I'm doubting also between these two business models. And I really like that you make your money with these extra uh, services you offer. Um, But then, of course, you need to do those extra services. So, yeah.
2: Well, well, Um, well, the interesting thing is, Mike, that I'd love to share a little bit more about is, you know, I, I've been a breastfeeding counselor and I volunteer my time as a doula and I, I do probably 70% of my work helping unschooling families um, for free, but I get so much out of it in ways that are beyond money. So although I do you know, advertise that I charge for coaching sessions, for example, if somebody inquires and I'm always willing to barter, I, I prefer to use any other way than money if somebody can't afford it. So it's one of those situations where because it, at this point my business has grown so much that it takes time for my family, um, and I really want to be able to help support our family too. So it is an interesting situation to be in, um, but I, I'm really open to learning more about the donation model.
4: Okay, okay. Well, uh, yeah. I, I, then I want to end with giving my sympathies uh, that you felt emotional with the struggle you did, uh, and uh, and learning to self-love you, lo- you only on later age and. And, yeah, uh, my sympathies for that, of course. Um, Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah.
2: Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you. I was just going to say, everything I've been through in life on whatever level has made me the person I am today, so I'm grateful for everything, even things that have been challenging. But thank you so much for your questions, Mike. Have a great day. Uh,
4: Yes, bye.
0: All right. Okay. So uh, we don't have any callers at the moment. So if you have any uh, questions uh, that you'd like to address from Previously submitted, <laughs> previously submitted before the show?
2: Somebody sent in a question about manners and forcing a child to say please and thank you or encouraging them to say please and thank you. Um, to me, it's really demeaning if somebody would say, to, if, if I was to ask for something, I can't even imagine if my husband looked at me and said, what do you say? How I would feel about him after that. <laughs> so we don't force our kids to say please and thank you, yet they do. Um, probably as often as I do, which is not every single time. I don't always say please when I ask my husband for something or ask somebody for something. Um, I do when I do, and I and I am authentically grateful in those moments when I do. So it's more about helping your children find authentic ways to feel grateful, and when they are thankful, they say thank you. And, and if you're forcing a child to say please and thank you, they never really authentically, intrinsically feel gratitude. If it's just this forced, parroted, words. So I I like to just share um, that modeling manners is everything. And you don't ever have to force your child by saying, what's the magic word? That's very demeaning and degrading and disrespectful to to say to another human being. Um, Just like a lot of times I like to give someone the analogy of before you say something to your child, would you say something like that to your friend or your husband or your partner? I mean, most people would not have any friends and wouldn't be in any kind of relationships if they spoke to other people like they speak to their children. So I like to kind of go by that guide to help people see more. So manners, that was one question. The other question was, uh, somebody wrote in and said that their children like to have dessert before dinner sometimes, or they like to have ice cream in the morning, or, you know, they they like to have food in a way differently than they're hoping their child will eat. And I like to say that uh, there was a study done about children eating something sweet in the morning. Um is a really natural occurrence, and it helps getting gets their brain going for the day. And so I, I support my kids not just because of that study, but because sometimes I, I like to look at um what my kids eat over the course of a week instead of in a day, because children like to, just like all all humans, <laughs> children like to, they really get stuck on one food sometimes. I know my son, Devin was really stuck on peanut butter and jellies for a long time, and he really wanted those a lot. And um, you know, I'm glad I never stressed over. eating a lot of other things because he has such a vast diet. Now he's chosen to be paleo, which is just a label for like a caveman type of diet. He's a free runner and he's a fire twirler. And he's learned that his performance will be at its best. If he eats the specific diet that he's, you know, self-educated about and, you know, watches YouTube videos about has books about. So he has learned the healthiest diet for him through me respecting what he wants to eat. So, Um, sometimes kids do want dessert before dinner and sometimes you just have to step back and just say, well, you know, over the course of this whole day or over the course of the week, they really balance out with what they eat, but children aren't big into variety like adults are. And it's really unnecessary. Most cultures in the world eat just a couple different things and, um, thrive. So it's really marketing that makes us believe that we need, this huge, vast diet, and we constantly have to be introducing all these different things. You know, I let go of all of that, all those beliefs, and I just look at my children, and I provide, you know, a great, healthy refrigerator and cabinets full of food, but they also have snacks they love. So, um, yeah, I think that's an important aspect of looking at it. Um, Let's see. This is another big one. Um, How to help a partner or somebody close to them understand unschooling. If they're not on board with it, this is something I wrote about in my book. I have a whole chapter about it, but I do want to just share here that, you know, unschooling is about understanding that children learn best when they're internally motivated, that forced learning doesn't work. In fact, when you're forcing learning on somebody um, in any way, they, they start to resist it and it becomes a power struggle, you versus them. If your partner or somebody you love isn't on board with this philosophy, you can't force them to learn about it, Period. So where do you go from here, you know, from that point of, you know, living this philosophy and not forcing them to learn about it? Well, I mean, I think modeling, again, is everything. And understanding that most children in our culture are parented in an authoritarian paradigm and are forced through punishments and rewards to obey and comply, that if 51% of the time your child can be parented in a positive way by you, they're so ahead of the game already that you don't have to look at it. You don't have to be quote unquote consistent. You know, that whole consistency crap is from parroted to us from the traditional approach of authoritarian authority. You know, I'm consistently consistent with the love I have for my children. I'm consistent with the, the flexibility and, and the unconditionality that I have. And, and you don't have to both have to both be on the same page as parents to give the benefits of this kind of perspective, you need to really live it. And it's 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 really hypocritical to be trying to parent in this way, in partnership, but yet you're trying to control what your partner does as a parent. It's speaking the opposite message. And you have to immerse yourself in this and really live what you're preaching and live what you're trying to accomplish with your children. And that's giving your partner the freedom to be the parent they need to be. I know it's hard, though. I mean, I will say it's challenging when you see your partner or somebody you care about communicating with kids that you now see as disrespectfully, the veil has been lifted and you're seeing everything. When you when you first come to this life and you see how disrespectful kids are treated and how discriminated against they are and how um, negative a lot of the communication with them is, you go through a process of it being kind of painful. You're out in public and you're, and you're noticing disrespect everywhere you turn your, your friends. Now you view as being disrespectful to kids and you're seeing the forced obedience and the punishment control is wrong. And, And you want to tell them it's like you're bursting inside sometimes and it can be challenging, but it's so important to extend the same philosophy that you have with your kids to other people in your life. That's the next step really because you're extending the fact that everybody's needs matter. You're focusing on the needs under the behavior. And it's now time to pull that philosophy even further to your partner, to your mother, to your mother in law. That was the hard one for me, my mother in law, because boy, uh, she was against everything, which she still is against everything that we do when it comes to parenting. You know, when I first became aware of this type of parenting, we we'd go up to her house and visit and um, <clears throat> she would manipulate my kids. She would make them say please or thank you or um which I mean, god, the average parent would never see anything wrong with that, but all of a sudden you're seeing it through different eyes and you're going, ugh, do not make my children say please and thank you." And you want to you want to preach about that. And so I I did. I was really kind of controlling with her initially when I remember when my daughter who's 11 was 2 at the time. Um, she didn't want to brush her hair. And so she had a lot of knots and we kind of had a system where once a week we'd take a bath. I'd use half a bottle of conditioner to comb the knots out. But my mother-in-law felt as though it should be done every day and you need to manipulate a child into combing their hair. So she would tell my daughter, you, if you don't let me brush through your hair, we're going to have to cut it all off. And I would be like, "Uh, don't talk to her that way. That is so disrespectful. We're not going to cut your hair, sweetie. Don't listen to Nana. Well, you can imagine the tension that, that that way that I interacted caused between us. In fact, you know, 10 years later, and we're still not in a good place because of the way that I approached it initially. At first, I thought we didn't get along because we parented differently. But now I see that much of it was to do with how <clears throat> how much of an authority and how controlling I was trying to be toward who she was. So, So where is that balance between protecting our kids from emotional abuse control and respecting who these other people are and as parents, like grandparents are different, you know, grandparents, this is something I deal with with people all the time with coaching calls or how do I deal with my mother, my mother-in-law, we live together, you know, they parent so differently. K- kids are so flexible. And I think just communicating with them and giving them the freedom to spend time with these, these people or not is what it comes down to. My kids are never forced to be with their grandparents, my, but yet they still make the choice to go see them sometimes. They they live They live right behind us, by the way which I'll tell you, in the, in the summer it's not bad because we have leaves all in the trees so you can't see their house. And so I, I kind of ignore the reality that they're there. But in the winter, man, all the leaves fall off the trees and I can see their house glaring down at us. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of sad sometimes because I wish that they would get who we are. You know, I keep thinking that they're going to see the results of these amazing human beings the older they get. But yet living this life brings up really deeply emotional feelings for people on so many levels, you know, my mother-in-law feels, I I feel that she feels that because we're making different choices in parenting, that we're saying what she did was wrong as a parent. And she takes it deeply personally. Like my way is not good enough. You're going in this whole other direction. Well, I can't have anything to do with you people then. Where my mother, I have a really good relationship with <clears throat> because, you know, it's a different approach. Like I, she, she says, oh, you do it differently. I wouldn't do it like that, but I totally respect your choice. So Relationships are a complicated thing when you're walking the path less traveled, for sure. So I would just give the advice of extending this philosophy of focusing on the needs under the behavior to everybody in your life. I know my mother-in-law loves our kids. They have total freedom to come visit her, to go visit her or not. They still choose to sometimes, but they also I also talk to them about it. I say, Nana's different. She lives in a different paradigm. They're, they're older now. I can really talk to them about these things, and they get it. No, they'll, they go through the hoops that they choose to see her and it's in her home. And so quote unquote, by her rules, they, they, they are making the choice to go into that home and follow the quote unquote rules that make sense to them or that aren't so terrible. So they know that Nana really likes it when you say please and thank you to every little thing. <clears throat> they may or may not agree with it, but when it's a child's choice and they have the freedom to choose to be in these authoritarian dynamics, it's really different than being forced to be in them against their will. Do we have any other callers at this point?
3: Uh, Not at the moment. Could I come back in for a second? This is Damon. Yeah, sure. Dana, you, I want to be a little, I'm practicing my empathy here, (laughs) trying to be inspired, but your voice is shaking quite a bit talking about that subject. Uh, How do you feel? Or would you share anything about that? Because these types of intergenerational things, I'm dealing with, Very uh, topically in my life, my my father's mother died uh, yesterday, Um, and that's brought up all sorts of complex interpersonal dynamics among multiple generations. So I don't know. It it sounds like a thread that's worth continuing down, although it can get very personal very quickly.
2: Um, Yeah. uh, Sorry if my voice was shaking. It probably has to do with me moving around, Um, and maybe maybe it is emotion coming up. Um, it's a pretty intense topic. And I, you know, opening my heart to love and understanding and extending this philosophy to uh, other people in my life has been hugely effective in, in being the change I want to see with the world and not getting angry. I've worked with a lot of parents recently that just seem so angry at so much. And I really try to focus on the good in people and, you know, knowing that everybody's doing the best they can with what they know at the time. And that's really been my mantra. When I see parents that are parenting in a way that I I think is disrespectful or painful, I know they're not aware of this perspective. Most people are not. And so that's why I'm so passionate about sharing it because once you hear about it, you can't really undo what you learned. There's no turning back once you hear about the rights and respect that children deserve. I mean, it was 150 years ago or so that women, you know, men were told to beat their wives. When dinner wasn't on the table on time. They were told to, uh, make their wives obey, and, and, and they were encouraged to beat their women if they weren't. And look how far we've come with the feminist movement and, and other aspects of freedom and respect to people. Children, it's just time for kids now. Now's the time for children to have the same kind of rights and respect that everybody else in our culture does, and, but people just don't get it. They, they try so hard to understand, but until they're really ready, it's hard, hard to understand.
0: I also wanted to uh, extend my sympathy. Uh, I mean, to me, it sounded like uh, this was certainly very emotionally intense for you, and um, I wanted to say I appreciate you sharing all that as well. Um, I mean, I would question, and if if this just doesn't sound uh, valid or it sounds off the mark, then, you know, please let me know. But I would question the degree to which you have responsibility for (laughs) how – I, you didn't you didn't quite put it this way, but how um, your mother-in-law re- sort of came down on your kids, in a sense, um, and then how you responded to that. I mean, I don't know.
2: Oh, I'd love to share that with you in more detail, for sure. I, I remember I, I would send my mother-in-law links to uh, this type of parenting awareness. Mm-hmm. It all started when we practiced attachment parenting, which is just a label for you know certain practices like co-sleeping and baby-wearing and breastfeeding. I remember sending her links to those things and thinking that she would accept me, that once she really got this type of parenting, that she would um, understand and be like, oh, okay. And then accept me as a mother and love me. And in turn, I could love myself, you know, that awful cycle. (laughs) And uh, instead, oh my gosh, she called me a born again parent.
0: Oh dear. Oh dear.
2: So I have communicated to her. And, you know, us choosing to be public with our lives through going, doing numerous TV interviews and TV appearances and those kind of things, she was very embarrassed about extremely. And she voiced her concern about being embarrassed about that. However... I totally understand that she's a different person and I've chosen to focus on all that I do like about her. I think that's a really big part of it is you can get sucked into this victimization mindset with people and feel like a victim that, that and taking it really personally, I know it's not about me. I know this is all about her and, um, I'm choo- I choose to focus on what we have in common when we are together because I want a relationship to be good and you can shift so much with what you're focusing on and, and how you're communicating. So we have so much in common. We, we don't agree with parenting. And in a lot of other aspects in regards to that, but Hey, we both love to garden. We both love to can, we love to cook. So when we're together, I focus on all that we do have in common. And um, when I do feel uncomfortable around her, I don't push those feelings away. I just kind of let it all sit there and I acknowledge it and kind of observe it instead of becoming these emotions of, anger, I just observe it. Like, huh, well, that's interesting. I'm angry right now around her. And, and it just dissipates so much quicker. So there's a lot of layers of how I've learned to um, deal with a, a person who lives really close to us who doesn't agree with us. Um, but it's taken 10 years to get to this point of peace.
0: All right. Well I, again, uh, still, still with the sympathy for, for, for the struggle, um, you know, because it did sound very intense. But... Uh.
2: Yeah, well, thank you so much. I think I think probably half the people listening can completely relate to dealing with something like this on some level with family or friends. You tend to lose a lot of friends and new people come into your lives when you're making choices like this. People do either take it really personal, or they just can't understand, or you're representing something that they're jealous about. Jealousy is a big deal for people, and it's really destructive. And they want to be doing what you're doing and they see the benefits and joy in it, but yet they're fearful. They're so fearful of all those voices around them telling them that this parenting isn't going to work.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to hear about the negative reaction that you get from some people. I'd, I'd love to hear about your experience, um, not only with the libertarian community, but, uh, you know, the interesting people that have come into your life through your work promoting unschooling and um yeah, just what what kind of people have come into your life and the relationships that have been created by you becoming an advocate?
2: Well, wow, it's so interesting because there's six of us in our family. And so there's six individuals that attract different people and have different people in their lives. So um, me, myself, I I love attracting free-thinking people, entrepreneurs, as, as we've met a lot of incredible people with amazing businesses. I've met a lot of authors, and people that um, are so supportive of this type of work that I would never expect to be. Um, I've worked with some Hollywood um, actors, some children, some Hollywood um, actor children. I wish I could share more about that, but everything's so confidential in that world. You can't, but that's been incredible to be able to bring unschooling to the awareness to kids in Hollywood. Can you imagine acting all day and working and doing your passion and then being forced to do schoolwork that makes no sense? Well, unschooling is going to take off And that, uh, and it already has in the Hollywood child Hollywood community because it's such an amazing way that parents can see all that their children are learning through their passion for acting, rather than needing to do all these things that they're never going to need. So, yeah, that kind of that's been an amazing experience.
1: Oh, you you talk about entrepreneurship, and I you know I see a, a natural correlation between unschooling and entrepreneurship when you talk about needs. You know, if if you're able to look at, you know, what do other people need in various interactions, you can also think about that in relation to potential customers and supplying that need and then getting value from it in an entrepreneurial sense. And I I think a lot of you know people that are unschooled are going to grow up to be natural entrepreneurs just because of that.
2: Well, yeah, completely. I mean, this life. One thing I like to say is that we're not raising worker bees here. We're raising free thinking entrepreneurs. And my unschooled child will hire your honor student <laughs> because because children who are in school are conditioned to take orders and obey, and so they slip into working for somebody else so easily. Um, that's what, that's all they've known. They, to think outside of the box after a child being raised for 12 years to take orders and and then all of a sudden think for themselves and create business off of something that they love wouldn't is so foreign to most people. Um, it took years before my husband and I, it took having children and stepping into this other type of parenting world to even consider it. So, um, when you're unschooling, your children are, you know, doing what they love all day, every day, which people will tell you, you can't do that. You have to do things you don't like. Well, no, you don't because our children don't and and we don't. I don't as an adult. I I do what makes sense, and there's times where we go and get our teeth clean because if not, you know, it kind of hurts to have cavities. And But my kids have the freedom to choose to go to the dentist or not. But that's another – I can elaborate on that more if you guys want me to, but let me just stick to the entrepreneurial thing. So, you know, my, our kids have had their own businesses for as young – Four, since they were like four years old. My son Devin had a chocolate business because he loved chocolate and loved making chocolate. Devin's Confections was the name of his website. It had four. <laughs> and that was when the internet was so new. It was so cute because like family and some friends ordered from him. But um, I think that we go through life in our culture, the authoritarian paradigm, as happiness is the end goal. That, that That's what success is finally when you reach happiness. But we're turning it all around and we're taking we're rewriting this whole script. We're saying no, happiness is the key to success. So we're living it backwards, which is much more joyful. And we are pursuing our passions every day and just making money off of it. And can you imagine what kind of world this would be if that kind of joy that everybody could experience that. This article I was reading recently said 70% of Americans hate their jobs. I can't even fathom living that life of that kind of unhappiness. Not only on the on the level of just basic unhappiness, but that affects your health. I don't care what your beliefs are, but your emotions affect how healthy you are in your physical body. And, you know, our kids are so healthy no matter what they eat, no matter what they do, because they're happy. And to me, that's a big, big connection right there. So my daughter Tiffany is 11 and has had her own pet sitting business for several months now. And she makes more money than most adults I know doing it. And she loves it. She would do it for free. That's how much she loves it. We always have some extra dogs or pets of some sort in our house. And, but it takes a parent facilitating that. This is work, you know, on, on my part, but it's joyful work. I, I love to do it. But it takes me helping them write ads and, put, you know, calling the newspaper and putting an ad in the paper for their services or designing their websites by their side. And um, so it's a very hands-on role as an unschooling parent and encouraging entrepreneurship. But, um, boy, they've learned so much. Through just you know being encouraged to to work for themselves.
1: I think it's really interesting the the idea that you know happiness can be right here and right now. You know it's I, I was kind of I always looked at it like you know when I achieve X then I'll be happy. You know when when I I'm, I graduate high school when I you know I get a job that you know pays me a lot of money or you know there was always another step. And there's, there's always going to be another step if you kind of put those limitations on yourself. It's like, oh, I'll be happy when I accomplish this or this next thing. But just being able to you know find happiness day to day, even as, as you're pursuing greater goals and greater dreams, I think it's super important, and I think it's great that you brought that up.
2: When you're not raised to do all this drudgery, you know, waiting for Friday to come so you're finally able to have the freedom to do what you want, when you're not conditioned to think that that's what life is supposed to be, It's a very, very different life experience. I mean, freedom in levels, in ways that people never even considered before. I mean, I have friends with kids in school that talk about how imprisoned they feel and how unfree they feel because they have to ask permission and are punished if they take their children out of school too many days. I have a friend who, um, I was her doula and saw her son come into this world. It was an incredible experience for me. So I've always had a special connection with them. She called and said that she had the police knock on her door. Um, after three days, um, that was it, of having their, her son home with her because they wanted to go do something together. She had notified the school that something had happened. She said, this is not freedom. I, I, there's no way I can have them part of this institution anymore. People think they're free. We're so force-fed, especially in the institution. Uh, kids, I remember singing about freedom. God bless America. And we're so free. We're so free as I'm, in a, as I'm singing against my will not even realizing, it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just so crazy. And And once this, again, this veil is lifted and saying that you are not free. If you have a child in the institution of any institution, I don't care whether it's a private school or not, you are not free. Montessori, Waldorf, you can make it, you get as fluffy and as natural looking. You can have as many tree stumps to play with as you want in that school. It's still not freedom. Mm-hmm. Waldorf is big on the aesthetics, you know, and I, and I can appreciate the fact that it might be a little bit better than public school, but I have people all the time say, well, what about Montessori? Or what about this? If a child doesn't want to be there, it's just as damaging as if they're in public school. <clears throat> now that might run, you know, really contrary to most, a lot of people's beliefs that are listening, but it all has to do with freedom. And if a child does not want to be in the environment that they're in and they're unhappy, it's going to be damaging no matter what they're doing. And so a child, if a child chooses school like Montessori because they want to be there, kind of like I'm talking about my mother-in-law. My my children choose to go up there. They love her. They connect with her. She does crafts with them. They are willing to put up with a little bit of a, you know, coercion. They're making the choice to go through that because the pros outweigh the cons. And sometimes that is the situation with some kids who choose school. Um, I still think it's a damaging place to be, but I understand that perspective and yeah so it's it's pretty amazing how you you experience freedom on a level that most people are they either are so against, you know, like I remember Dr oh no it was a Jeff Prope said, so your children can do whatever they want all day, every day. Is that legal? <laughs> Like literally, that's why I'm like, dude, did you even like hear what you just said? Like imagine saying that to an adult. So you can do what all you everything you want all day, every day. Is that legal? I mean, apply what you're saying to an adult and see how asinine it sounds. I mean, again, children, people, <laughs> children are human beings that deserve the same freedom and respect that any of us adults have. They're human. And the only way to help them become amazingly wonderful humans. Um, that no freedom and no respect and know that everybody's needs matter is to raise them that way, not to tell them to live that way, but then live a different way. It's, it's crazy how people, once they understand this philosophy, they realize why it's felt so wrong to parent the other way. There's something inside of you that knows all this. There is something within each of you that knows that this is truth. That children deserve this respect. You feel it. Think back to being a child and how unjust it was to be treated the way you were. It can be a painful journey for people to, to really acknowledge. You know, people say, I have a great childhood. Um, did you really, though? I mean, look back on these moments where you were so disrespected. And I'm not saying to get upset and, and necessarily you have to work through whatever process you do. But again, I mean, your parents did the best they could with what they knew at the time, possibly, Most people, I like to have that perspective because most people don't know about this. But I'll tell you, once that veil is lifted and you see that you can have freedom in ways that you never dreamed, don't work for somebody else and don't have your child in school and the American dream can unfold. (laughs) The supposed American dream that we've been, everybody's chasing all the time. It's all an illusion. My American dream is living in freedom. um, But sometimes I'm definitely ashamed to say I live in this country. (laughs) That's another whole conversation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is always interesting to see the the knots that people tie themselves into to defend, you know, their current viewpoint. And what you said about the the Jeff Pro Show <laughs> is that legal? I mean, it's it's really fascinating.
2: Well, it goes to show how imprisoned children really are, you know, on so many different levels.
1: Yeah, and how uncomfortable these ideas make people on a foundational level too, just by suggesting the idea of you being able to do what you want to do on a daily basis, you know, <laughs> is that legal? My goodness.
2: I know somebody actually asked me, um, what if my, you know, is it healthy for a child to do what they want all day, every day? And I think that really is based on the assumption that children will make bad choices because we we were, most of us were raised where the adults around us assumed negative intent from us. I can remember being blamed for things and all the time that weren't my fault. Maybe in school, our entire bus was always punished. We, we, I lived in the inner city and our bus was like the bad kid bus. It was like the gangster kids. And so our whole bus was punished, including me, even though I would sit in the very front with my hands in my lap, like the good little girl I was trained to be. I was punished regularly because I was on that bus. And so negative intent was assumed all the time. And it's a cultural sickness when the one of the first things i tell parents that i'm working with is you have to start assuming positive intent the positive intent that should have been assumed from you when you were a child you need to assume positive intent with your children and even that one little shift of assuming positive intent and focusing on the needs under the behavior can change so much in a family it's this awareness that's changing the world. And I'm just a messenger of this. I don't hold all this knowledge. People have been talking about this for years. It's just, I think our culture is finally ready to really hear it. It takes different voices to bring this kind of message to people for sure. So do, do your research. There's a lot of great authors that write about this kind of thing. Alfie Cohen wrote unconditional parenting. That book is really profound for my husband. Actually, I got it for him on DVD, which he was much more receptive to. He's not the type of dude to sit down and read a book. He just, even though he'll read a lot on the internet, he hates books for some reason. I wonder why. <laughs> Must have been that forced book, book learning back in the day for him. He, he was just, you know, that that's another thing is he was labeled dyslexic at age, I think six years old, and he was put in the resource room and every day kids would walk by and point at him and laugh because he was in that room. And so he instantly felt as though he was a, what he calls a sucky speller and a sucky reader and he carried that identity around, even to this day. He's still healing from that in his 40s. Um, you know, being labeled and pigeonholed as a bad reader. Um, there is an amazing uh, article that Naomi Aldort wrote, and I encourage you to do a search for it. Type in Naomi Aldort uh, dyslexia to read of the dyslexia myth that uh, part of the process of learning how to read is recognizing letters. And then recognizing that letters form a word, but one of the processes to getting to to reading a word is you, you do see the letters mixed up. That's part of that's natural and supposed to happen, but it happens in varying degrees from human to human. So seeing a B backwards or seeing this upside down is really normal and natural. That's part of the process, but instantly we label that as broken dyslexia and all this intervention takes place. Instead of just allowing the child to work through that, I've seen that in my children who have moved through it completely and have no issues now. But we keep a child locked in this broken problem that they carry around with them forever because we don't know what's natural. We don't know what's normal because we force children to all be at the same level with reading. They have to read independently by age seven because all the curriculum after that fact is all in the written word. It's easier for teachers, again, focusing on the adult needs only. When, in fact, there's a huge range of reading readiness, anywhere between the ages of 5 and 15. There's a 10-year window of reading readiness. But, boy, that scares people to hear. You tell a parent that is an 11-year-old who's not reading yet that that's normal for that child. Um, As long as they're surrounded by the written word and encouraged, it can cause a lot of anxiety. But in my experience working with parents for 10 years, that is really normal. In fact, a natural reading age is not 6, the more common natural reading age is around 11 years old. More on schoolers read around 11 or 12 years old than earlier. Uh,
4: I have another question, if I may. Sure. Uh, yeah, I really like that about your work, Dinah, that, that I'm also learning from how your children behave. For example, the sleeping pattern that you posted about, that teenagers stay up at night. Uh, I also stay up. I'm not a teenager, but I did a lot of... I I didn't understand why uh, I I prefer to live at night. And I thought it was some dysfunction maybe. Uh, But then I read that actually your kids choose to do that. And that really comforts me in that it's not really dysfunctional per se. So that's really helpful. And I was wondering how do your children... uh, Do um, behave when it comes to dealing with people that, yeah, that uh, don't have characteristics that are not fun. Also, Uh, do they also um, have this philosophy that um, they they try to they focus on the good things about that person uh, and that way keep the relationship, or or do they really don't care about that? How is that working? With your kids. Uh, do you mean with fam?
2: Do you mean with family or friends?
4: Just, I don't know. I would say both. Just with, I'm that, with anybody. Okay.
2: Well, I mean, they choose friends that are parented this way just naturally. Um, they, they had when they were younger, they had some friends in school, but as the children got older, they had less and less in common with them, and they noticed that the children really changed, and what became important to them wasn't um, compatible with who they had grown to become. My children, so. Um, they, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know their process to interact with like my mother-in-law, for example. Some of my kids choose not to go up. Some of them do go up and visit her. Um, and I say that, and what's interesting is they actually probably haven't been up in about six months. So it's not like they're choosing it often, but when they do go up, these are, you know, they do focus on what they love about Nana just naturally. I think that's a really default way of being is it's like a survival mechanism to focus on, you know, what's working to stay connected with people that we need to that we feel we sh- should stay connected with, but my children choose all of their friends. Every one of them are unschooled, unless it's an old friend of mine. I have a couple really old friends that I love dearly that have children in school. So when they're they come over to visit, their kids are schooled, and and they have fun with them and play with them. Um, but generally, it's really funny because our I don't realize how how different this really is unless I step out into the world sometimes because we're so immersed in this community all my interaction, mostly online or, you know, their interaction that was Skyping with friends from all over the world. Um, I spoke in Australia and England and other countries about unschooling. So they've made a lot of friends worldwide, but they're all unschooled children who are parented in partnership. So this is their world. They're living in this world and it's their choice to be in, in this space of freedom and respect. So they're never really in that situation where they where they're forced to kind of focus on what's working because they're in uncomfortable situations they don't want to be in. Um, you know, some people choose to move away from their family of origin, and we've considered that um, because I sometimes there's times where I, it just doesn't feel good to to be focusing on what little we do have in common with my mother-in-law. So so we're working on the process of of how to deal with that relationship in the healthiest way.
4: Yeah, uh, and yeah, uh, thanks. And um, uh, if there is like with your children, and they have a friend, or uh, uh, and and there is something that they don't like, do they choose to talk about that, or do they? Um, is it, or, or do they not choose to talk about that and actually just put it on the balance of that person, and if it happens too much, just float away.
2: Um, it, it depends. Like unschoolers seem to be, in my experience. Because they they don't go to school, when they spend time together, oftentimes for days at a time, like right now my son Devin's in Vermont at his friend's house and he's been there for several days. We just had a little girl leave who's 11 years old that was with us for a week. So after a couple days of being together, they do start to get on each other's nerves. Um, And I empathize with both my daughter and the other girl and I help facilitate discussion between them if I'm aware that something's going on. So oftentimes, you know, sometimes kids don't have the verbal skills or the communication skills to communicate. I don't force them into that situation, but I ask them, um, do you want me to help you Want me to talk to Hannah about that? For example, my daughter's friend's name is Hannah and she's been unschooled her whole life. And, um, my daughter might say no, or she might say yes. Sometimes Hannah will come out to me in the kitchen and s- say, Tiff's being mean to me. And, uh, I give her a hug and say, why don't we go talk about it? And, and she says, "Okay." So I facilitate the discussion between my kids in the same way I facilitate their learning and help them, based on whether they want that or not. So my son Devin's older; he's, you know, he's not necessarily needing that kind of facilitation at 14. He um, is kind of picked up where I've modeled and facilitated for him, and he definitely communicates with his friends. It's children are naturally in the now; they're naturally present in a way that adults are not. Um, and so when something's bothering them, especially a teenage boy, I've heard them, you know, tell each other to go fuck off. Or, you know, in teenage boy language, not to be so blunt, but they, they will say things like, cut the shit. Like they're they're talking like teenage boys, but they're communicating their needs. Um, and instead of me focusing on the swearing, I, I can appreciate that they're able to communicate in a way that feels best for them in the moment. But I have heard, heard them dialogue more peacefully as well. So,
4: uh, Thanks a lot for sharing that, uh, Dinah. Thanks
2: you're a lot. W- you're welcome. That's another thing, too. The swearing is a big deal. Um, It's so hypocritical if you swear yourself to tell your children not to swear and to punish them for swearing. My husband had his mouth washed out with soap regularly or had Tabasco, (laughs) you know, put in his tongue or something for saying a bad word. My children have the total freedom to use whatever words they want in the human language. And that shocks people sometimes, Um, especially little kids get caught on, you know, they get stuck on certain swears. They're exploring them, especially if there is a lot of negative energy around them or they're kind of taboo. I know my my daughter got really creative with some swears when she was a little younger, Ivy. She's eight now, but when she was about five, she got really stuck on the swear that she put together called ass bitch. And she called everything an ass bitch for probably a week straight. The parakeet was an ass bitch. The pillow on the couch was an ass bitch. Everything was an ass bitch. And there were times where like, Ivy, you know what? If you need to explore that word in the house, that's cool. But we're going over Nana's, we're going out to the grocery store, and people are really get really upset about hearing kids swear. So just giving you that information that it's not cool to swear around people that you don't know are okay with it. So she always respected that. And um, in fact, to this day, my children will ask me if we have a new friend coming over, are they comfortable? Are they cool with swearing? And sometimes I'll say, I don't really know. Like we just had friends come over the other night and um, who are childhood friends that I hadn't seen in forever. And uh, my kids said, are they okay with swearing? And I said, I don't know. They have a three-year-old, so I'm not really sure where they're at with it. So why don't we just hold off and not swear around them? And don't make the assumption that my kids swear constantly either because they, they truly don't. In fact, I don't hear them swear very often, other than when they were really little and exploring the words, which is really normal and healthy. Um... So they they just ask for information. And because we have this connect, we have this close connected relationship, they believe me and they respect it. Again, I'm not the wall between them and their desires in life. I'm not I don't lock into power struggles with them. It's never me versus them. Their needs matter. But they also re, because they know that I'm communicating true information, not to manipulate them or coerce them or get them to obey. They believe me when I give them information. So before we go into a store, for example, I might say, you know, this the store looks really crowded. Why don't we kind of stay close by to me, just so, you know, Orion, can you not run around here? They're not very comfortable with running because there's there's a lot of people. And so they they literally turn to me as their as like a a guide in this world, just like you would like a foreign exchange student. Say you had a foreign exchange student come over your house. And it was your job to teach them the cultures of our world, of our of our of our what's appropriate in our culture. You know it's really important that you kind of look at that as your, chi- you're your child's guide. You're here to tell them what's appropriate in our culture. And when you have that kind of relationship, they truly respect it, respect you, and in turn, they do listen. So the whole obedience thing can be hard for people because they think, because you're not forcing obedience, that children won't quote unquote obey or listen. Listen's a much gentler term used in our culture for forced obedience. But, you know, as a side effect of respect, when I tell my kids, can you please not do that, they don't. They it's respect begets respect. So it's not that it's crazy with kids running around disrespecting you. When children are respected and treated as equals in partnership, when you ask them not to do something or ask them something. They they respect it fully. You know, maybe not 100% of the time, but I'd say a good 99% of the time they do. Hello, Dana. Hi.
5: <laughs> Hi. Um, I actually just had the un- coaching, unschooling coaching session with you uh, about two weeks ago, maybe. I knew I recognized your voice. <laughs> good to talk to you again. You too. I was uh, actually hoping maybe you could expand a little bit more. Um on unjobbing and maybe any resources or something that you could help us out with trying to move forward on starting a career living from home and and being able to get or at least make it easier to get involved in uh, the unschooling lifestyle.
2: Well, I mean, there are
5: no,
2: no, I I love I love this question. (laughs) Uh, All these questions are such value. Um, I would definitely say that, just so you know, that not all unschoolers work at home, that there's unschoolers that work full time. There's single parents that are unschoolers. You can unschool in any dynamic that you're in. So, I will say that it's not a prerequisite that you unjob or work for yourself to unschool, but it does make, it just makes more sense. It's once you let go of the institution or work, at, you know, having to go through hoops, you tend to just kind of move in the direction of more freedom. It's I'm always asking myself, how much more freedom can we have? How can I make our lives more and more free? And so, working for ourselves was the next logical step. My husband started a wooden toy business um, eight years ago now, Willow Toys. We're the second biggest toy company in the country for the type of toys that he makes. He makes giant those big wooden kitchens and dollhouses and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't something he necessarily planned. Sometimes it happens accidentally. He, My husband's always been very frugal. How do the two of us, I don't want to say cheap, I'm going to say frugal. That's a much <laughs> gentler word. But um, I used to really, I love like wooden toys and natural toys just because of the the things that I enjoy and my kids enjoy. So we were in this wooden toy store and there was this uh, set of play stands, which are kind of these open-ended wooden You'd have to see them to understand what they are, but they were $325, and my husband's like, "This, no, it's not, no way, in hell, I want to spend that kind of money." You know, he he was a chef at the time. We have a small income, and he said, "I bet I can make those." And I'm thinking, "Okay, this man's never touched a tool. Like he thinks he can make the, this play stand." Well, he goes home and he borrows his father's tools, and he literally makes this. He had only taken a photo of it, and he and he made this set of play stands. And then I said, ah, dude, those are great. And it only cost him, you know, $70 in in wood or whatever. So then I saw a wooden kitchen and I said, try it. Can you make that? And he said, I'll try And and he did. Sure enough. So we had friends come over that would check out these things and say, oh, will you make me some. And so he said, yeah, sure. And they, they offered him good money. And so he started making these wooden kitchens. And then he just decided to list some on eBay. And every time he'd list something, it sold. And our business just took off from there. It um, happened really organically and naturally, and he really loved doing it. So it's really based in the fact that you can make money off of anything you love doing, anything. I always, I have probably a dozen different business ideas in my head right now based on my passions, but I'm a full-time mom. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so like, it's a matter of like, what do you love doing, Thomas? What are your passions in life?
5: I was always uh, big into music, and I'd love to... I wish I could just find somebody to play in cafes with. I would love to sing. Uh, that was always one of my favorite things to do. Uh, Stephanie, who, you know, um, she's my, my girlfriend. She's actually gotten into making homemade products like room spray and shampoos, conditioners, our body washes. And, you know, we thought that would be great a great idea to, to expand on possibly going forward as well. It's just a matter of time because we're both working 40-plus hours each week, and it's... a uh, it's hard to get that the time in there to to try and start something, too, it seems
2: well, once you're on that hamster wheel of needing the, both of those full-time incomes, it's hard to think outside of that. But it's a matter of living more simply too. You know most unschoolers I know live really simple lives, and they realize that there's so many more ways to get what you want in life than money. There's bartering. There's uh, so many different ways. There's Craigslist. There's posting. I mean, I post on Facebook when I'm looking for something to barter, and I have at least a dozen different people respond. So um, it's a matter of, you know, could you, one of you, to quit your job? You know, like I really think, asking you know, yourself, like, can you get rid of cable? Can you get rid of how many things can you get rid of um, that aren't necessary to help move you more toward freedom?
5: We have actually started cutting down on things that we just don't find necessary anymore. There may be a couple of other places we can, <laughs> you know, cut. But def- cable was definitely one of them. We got rid of off right off the bat. It was just so much money and not worth it. And the internet's just got everything you could possibly need, I think. But uh, yeah.
2: I'm not saying you have to live like deprived either or feeling in lack. It's a matter really of a mindset. It's a mindset to have of abundance and being so grateful for what you already have brings so much more into your life with that perspective. If you're living life, walking around, feeling lack, everything's in lack. You don't have enough of this. You don't have enough of that. It's amazing how your outer reality will reflect your beliefs. I mean, you can change all of that by the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, is I think of, you know, what I'm grateful for for that day. I know it sounds corny, but it really makes me feel good. I think about my health and everything I see, I'm grateful for. And um, I think it's, you know, entrepreneurship is a matter of a mental state, partially. And that's the uh, optimistic, um, focusing on all that you do have, not what you don't have. And it's amazing how you just create more and more things in your life in doing
5: so. You said something to us during that uh, during that session that really, after when I was talking to Stephanie, blew my mind. It was like – or blew her mind, I should say. It was just in relation to – she couldn't believe how you were so right in pointing out that it's almost like she has to suddenly rethink herself, think back to when she was five or six and try and rediscover her passions because they've been kind of beaten and driven out of her over the years between working for other people and being told what to do and – you know, public education as well, and uh, you know it's something that we're trying to expand on right now. You know, since just since the you know that kind of conversation, so I uh, you know I really want to thank you for that. That was a really very really, very very helpful and uh, you know it was it was awesome. I'm glad you took the time to talk to us about it.
2: Thank you, thank you so much, Thomas. One thing I want to share with the listeners about that is part of the deschooling process and coming to this life of unschooling is learning yourself that learning doesn't end. Learning is like breathing. As humans, we're always meant to, to learn, grow and expand. But we've been so brainwashed to think that learning has to be hard or that only certain things that are, other people tell us are educational or of value, that we tend to devalue anything else that's outside of that realm of what we've been told is a value. And it can really be crippling to 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 you because you turn eighteen years old, and all, oh, thank goodness you're done learning. You're all done with that crap. Now you can just be free and sit on the couch and eat potato chips and watch TV all day because that's just your way of healing and so you can finally not be told what to do. My children, it's so important again, I've talked about modeling. Modeling is huge to me in my own advocacy, is sharing about how yeah. how how a, how a person a parent chooses to be in this world is how, How your children learn to be. So my children see me learning and growing all the time. They see me pursuing my own passions and interests. They see me getting excited about new business ideas. They see me attempt and make mistakes at crafts or art or music. Um, They they see me trying new yoga classes or a a new journey dance class, which was not my thing because I can't really dance. They they see me excited about life and learning myself. And that is the greatest thing that you can instill in your child to say learning is not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to feel good. Because that is our basic right as humans to be able to learn and grow. And so... It really takes rediscovering yourself. Children come to unschooling just naturally. There's nothing you have to do to a kid to, to, to get for them to get it. We, you all know this information on some level, that you knew it when you were tiny, you knew it when you were a child, but everybody around you was telling you that you were wrong and that it wasn't true and that only these things are of value to learn and your music wasn't important and your music was damaging you. Listening to that heavy metal, the Saints music, or whatever the hell crap you were fed. Uh, I mean... It, this is a matter of healing from your past and acknowledging you were you were friggin right all those years that that your inner voice and your instinct was telling you that your life was unjust and that you were meant to do amazing things but nobody was giving you the freedom to do it so now you can you're an adult most children in our culture don't have this freedom but your children will and you can you can heal, do all those things that you've always wanted to do, Re- lay in bed and think about, oh my God, I've, I've never asked myself this question. What would I love to learn? Hell, I'd love to learn Japanese cooking. Hell, I've always wanted to color with pastels. I really like those when I, when I saw them 20 years ago, or I've always wanted to take this particular class. Like think outside of just facilitating your, your, your life and your role as a parent. And you have to reparent yourself, man. You have to like dig deep and heal through giving yourself the life that you should have had now.
5: I think that's probably one of my favorite things about my... every have rediscovered just how learning can be just sitting on Wikipedia for, you know, 15 minutes reading about a topic, and I love that. It's just, Yeah,
2: and, and also learning how children learn, how humans learn in general, that when you're interested in something, that's all you want to do. I'm sure there's people listening to this call that have been researching like crazy, crazy what unschooling what is, is about, about. because yeah, you, you want to learn more and you have that, that internal, internal motivation. motivation. Um, so children are the same way. They, they delve into these passions and interests, including like video games are always a hot topic for people. When a child is interested in a video game and they love playing it, that's all they're going to want to do morning, noon and night to focus on hell. We drug kids in our friggin' culture. For, for, to make them focused on something we think is important, but the second they focus on something that has meaning to them, like giving all of their attention to focus on a video game, we think something's wrong. It's, it's ridiculous. Children learn so much from video games and their focus and desire and passion for these things are Never respect it. Instead, again, assuming negative intent, something's wrong. This is harmful some way because they're enjoying it too much. Don't feel because your child's in bliss or enjoying something they're doing that somehow there must have some kind of negative side effect. Again, you've been conditioned and brainwashed to think that joy equals something must be wrong or not. Not okay. You know, life is supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to feel good. We're supposed to love learning and growing and delve and immerse ourselves in what we're completely passionate about. Um, And I I think that's such a huge thing to really acknowledge that, you know, how would you feel if your kid was sitting reading a book for two days straight? straight. You would not look at it the same way you would like a video game, for example, because we live in a book worshiping culture. (laughs) We devalue anything else as less than, as, as a good form of learning. I, I've written a lot about that, so um, I'm happy to share. But let's see if we have any more callers.
5: Actually, The last thing, I, if I don't mind, if you don't mind me just to say, and oh, sure. it's been uh, really cool watching uh, the libertarian movement and now you being involved with uh, Freedom Aid Radio and the, the radical schooling movement just come together and watching all you guys even just start to meet each other. It's... Uh, it's been a real fun process because it's it just fits together so fluidly, and uh, I really hope this is the way of the future because it's just logically consistent all around. Finally, life makes it, sense. It seems.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. I, I I think this is the missing piece, and the libertarian or you know anarchist movement. And I, I feel like people, the people that I've come in contact with through speaking and doing interviews, have been the most intelligent, passionate amazingly loving, nurturing parents and human beings that I've ever met. I'm so honored to be able to be a voice like sharing this information. So I'm so grateful for everyone that's receptive to hear this kind of thing and help me learn as I go. It was a couple of years ago that a friend who was an anarchist approached me at an unschooling conference. And I think he was the only anarchist there. He uh, said, although uh, that's changed, man, I'll tell you, I got a lot of you guys signed up for these different conferences I'm doing that are coming with their families. So times are changing fast. I mean, this is all happening really quick. Um, and it's powerful. And um, but this friend told me a couple of years ago, I have to connect you with my anarchist friends. You guys would you would so get each other. My friend Rocco, he's uh, speaking at the Rethinking Everything conference. But he's like, wow, these two communities, man, once they come together, you need to do this. And I said, I don't know. Like I don't know how to approach anyone. I'm just going to kind of sit back and just wait and see what happens because um, I had written to probably four years ago. I wrote to a couple different anarchist conferences that were happening around the country and it was like fiercely rejected like no no thank you we want no part of this peaceful parenting or or whatever they had learned and I just think nobody was quite ready people weren't quite ready but people are growing and have evolved and are ready to, to apply this freedom to their children and as a result this is the change that needs to happen to make a change in the world so I'm so honored and thankful to have been asked to be part of it
5: Thank you so much for helping us out and thank you for taking my call today. It's, it's awesome and I'll keep listening. Just keep awesome. spreading the message.
2: All right, thank you, Thomas. Take care. Thanks, bye.
4: We don't have any callers at the moment. Um, um, but If I may, uh, James, I have one follow-up question on what she, she just said.
0: Uh, sure, go ahead.
4: Yes, uh, Diana, I really like how you, um, for example, with the video games, um, if they want to play all day or may, uh, for days in a row, that you don't uh, see that as an addiction, but as just normal, normal uh, curiousness. and 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 um, I really like that because for myself I would uh, sometimes just stamp it as an addiction, and uh, and that way self-attack. So, but um, I'm I was wondering how do you look uh, at uh, if. <laughs> if 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 it's our this those typical destructive things that uh, people would wa- do all day like gambling or smoking or or or, or drugs or uh, is that is the same do you think the same about that then or is that different
2: um, I feel like it's different for sure. I definitely feel like uh, my children wouldn't haven't made any of those choices. Um, I feel like those kind of choices, like that are unhealthy addictions, like alcoholism and drug abuse and gambling addiction, would be a result of um, not being able to on so many levels of being parented in an authoritarian dynamic and being forced to obey and and just being abused in general. That's a side effect of trying to get some kind of need met. People trying to find a way to feel good. You know, that people have been so conditioned to feel so bad and accept it that people are desperately trying just to feel good. And so that's all the attempt is, is to try to feel good Um the video games is. a. Uh a nucleus of my children's learning. I look at everything they're interested in as the nucleus of their learning, and it's my job as their learning facilitator to bring as much of their passion or interest into their lives as possible to learn and grow from. So when my kids are interested in a game, well, for example, Devin was interested in this game Minecraft, which is really popular. Um, It's actually become mandatory for children to play in Swedish schools, which is interesting. I don't feel that mandatory is cool, but hey, that's another discussion. Um, But I mean, just goes to show that people are really seeing the value in uh, video gaming, but um, I, we totally uh, connect through that game. No matter what my children are doing, I try to connect to them. and meet them where they are. I'm going to give you an example. When I was 14 years old, <clears throat> I used to, walk to the store when I'd get my allowance and buy one of those little 45 records. Well, they were like a dollar 50. Like, I can't believe I'm like that old that I can like say these kind of stories, but I would walk in the snow to buy my 45 album record. And I'd come home and it was every Thursday night. And I would sit down and play whatever song I bought for my mother. And she would come in with her cigarettes in her ashtray and sit on the floor, cross legged and, and listen. I'll never forget it. And listen to every new song I brought home. And she would tell me what she thought about it. And this wasn't had nothing to do with school. It was just an interest and passion I had for music and uh my independence and walking down and purchasing purchasing it myself and I've never in my life felt more connected with my mother than is when she'd sit and focus on what I was interested in and see it as, as having some value. You know, children see Everything they're interested in or enjoying or liking, whether it's a favorite food, whether it's a TV show, a video game, um, any kind of hobby, they see these things as an extension of themselves. And when parents judge these things harshly and call it junk or bad for you, children really internalize it. And they they think a part of who they are isn't loved or appreciated and is disrespected or is junk. Um, and and you, pa- parents are afraid of... You know, these things being damaging to their child, but they don't realize that the control and judgment of these things, which children see as an extension of themselves, that the judgment of these things are actually creating the low self-esteem and damage. It's the judgment. It's the control that's causing the the damage. And um, I don't judge anything my kids are interested in as something, as having value, as one thing having value over the other. I see everything they love and they're interested in as an extension of themselves and love it and support it equally. They've never chosen drugs or sex or crack, you know, as a result, because that that's a whole different ballgame. And, and people tend to compare those things saying, oh, well, what if your kids wanted to, you know, have sex at age seven? I mean, hello, like a child that's filled and feeling whole and complete isn't going to desire those things. So you get so many of these unrealistic questions when you're walking this path. However, when my son was interested in Minecraft, um, I brought as much Minecraft into his world as possible he'd play for hours i'd bring him up plates of food and sit with him i'd bring him his favorite banana milkshake that i would always make because i knew he was so en- enveloped in the game that he may be hungry and he doesn't want to leave because he's working really hard on building something so i'd bring him food i would sit with him and have him explain to me oh, what did you build what's going on and he would he tells me and explains it to me oh look at the look at this huge town i've built i mean hours and hours of work and collaboration with other people online and we We brought gaming magazines we We made cakes in the shape of minecraft we oh my goodness, we had sessions at conferences I ran based on that so he could connect with other people interested in the game. We went so far as to fly him and my husband out to Las Vegas to meet the creator of the game Minecraft, because that's how much we were facilitating and not judging and loving and supporting him and whatever he was interested in. You have the potential to connect with your children no matter what they're doing or they're into. And they will learn so much as a side effect of pursuing whatever passions they're into. You wouldn't believe what Devin learned from this game. He was motivated to improve his reading because he wanted to communicate better. He became an a affluent reader and, and typed. He types faster than me now from playing that game. He knows how to work as a team. I mean, if we don't break our life down into subjects, we don't live life in any way that recognizes school, we've de-schooled so much that we live life as though school doesn't exist. And we don't break our life down into subjects saying, this is math, this is English, this is science. That's so foreign to me. However, for the sake of helping people understand that if we were to break it down into subjects, you would see that Devon's interest touched on all of those things. Every subject that people value has been touched on with the one nucleus of his learning, which is Minecraft in that moment through me being a very active supporter of it, not just letting it, you know, letting him not be connected or involved in me. I go up and I sit with him and we talk about it. And I looked up, I Googled Minecraft cheats and Minecraft secret levels. And I mean, I I delve myself into whatever my kids are interested in. So that is my role as an unschooling parent is I am my child's learning facilitator. I'm not their teacher. I don't know any better what they should be learning than they know. So I totally facilitate that in partnership with them. And it's such a joy when you're pursuing passions all day, both yours and your children pursuing theirs. You, how can you not live in joy? Which to me, I believe in my heart is the default way that all humans should be living and, and can feel how right it is to be here. I, I can't believe how happy I am as a mother with four kids busy running businesses because my interests and passions are important to me and celebrate in our family.
4: Yeah, I agree with your analysis about uh, the the drugs and and, and sex or, or gambling, uh, the the uh, or smoking um, that it's a consequence of of, of um, trauma, uh, and just uh, a, a way to feel good. Uh, but um, uh, okay, and I can imagine it won't happen with your children, thanks to your <laughs> excellent, amazing work. Uh, but uh, how if? If you would be confronted by it, what do you think is the good response as a parent, for example, to a child?
2: Well, it depends on what you're talking about. If it was sex, I would support them wherever they're at and I would help facilitate giving them an education about it. I mean, my kids know a lot about sex where I'm a birth, you know, they've seen the births of their siblings. They've been there, they've cut the cords after the babies have come out. And they're so, they're very aware of what sex is. And my son, Devin's in a really committed relationship at age 14 with an unschool girl for the last eight months. And she lives in Texas. So the relationship is kind of impossible to be that physical, but he knows he can turn to me when they're ready. Um, when she's ready to, for information, for support, when they're ready to take it to that level. Um, as far as drugs go, you know, if you wanted to try marijuana, I know a lot of unschoolers that have dabbled and tried that, but, you know, the legalities are important too. I mean, not important to us that are walking this path to say, you know, fuck the legalities surrounding that. However, um, it, it's important for me to communicate that kind of thing to my children of what's legal and what's not. So we talk about those kind of things as far as so they have information to make true, informed decisions. Um, but you know, it's really hard for me to say because I haven't lived it. So I I don't, I like to share about what I've actually lived and experienced to come from a personal experience level, as opposed to philosophically how I would handle it. Because once emotions and other people are involved, um, things may be handled differently. I mean, my husband has to take into account too. He's parenting the kids too. So for me to say, this is how we would do it. I'd want him in on the conversation of his feelings as well.
4: Yeah, it makes sense. Thanks a lot for uh, for your opinion on those uh, difficult subjects, uh, Dina.
2: Check back with me in 5 years and we'll we'll go over those things again because I'm sure at that <laughs> point I'll have more experience with the sex and drugs thing if it if yeah. it ever, you know, if it's come to be by then.
4: Okay, okay. I I might do that. <laughs> thank you.
2: Okay, thank you.
3: Dina, you mentioned passions changing over time, and how when you're unleashed, you, uh, humans just love everything. And I, I find myself becoming diving full speed into so many things. And one of the problems I noticed, and I want, wanted to hear your feedback, was a, a lot of people are passionate, but they're so narrow into a specific passion and they kind of just get stuck in that rut where they, they kind of just keep circling around the same item. So I volunteered at a museum for a while and I thought it was amazing. Everyone was so passionate, but you know, because I'm so excited, my passion's moved on to something else. And there's a weird kind of loss in leaving those people behind who, who kind of just keep circling around the same thing and don't really go anywhere else.
2: Um, so what's your question? <laughs>
3: <That's> about it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not very synthesized. Um, I don't know. I, I assume you like your, uh, your husband, you talked about him being a uh, cook and then moving on to wooden toys. And you talk about all the, the different, uh, passions that you all, you, you talked about yourself having tons of ideas for different things you could do in addition to being the best parent you can be, uh, and just juggling all that and, and then reflecting to the people that, have a much more narrow focus and, and uh, narrow passion.
2: Well, I mean, I have a couple of thoughts that come to mind based on what you shared. So I'll elaborate on those. I mean, for one, as far as facilitating my children's passions in life, again, I'm always looking to extend this philosophy further and further. So I facilitate my husband's passions and interests in life, I facilitate my mother's. When she was really interested in running a cat rescue, I bought her books about running cat rescues. I sent her websites. My husband was really interested in building his own chopper, so I delved full force into that. I think when you love somebody, you want them to be happy and to be always learning and growing. And so it's my role with whoever's in my life, my best friends, my closest friends – um, to take the time to nurture these relationships. And the best way to do that is through facilitating their passions and interests, not pushing your own feelings and judgments about the way you think they should be living or something that you may guess that they might like that you like. No, it's it's about them. So um, facilitating passions and interests with anyone I'm connected with is something that I love doing. Um, as far as um, I think that sometimes people have other needs that aren't really met that they might stay in a situation that they're not fully happy in because they might be afraid of rejection. If they left from the people that are there, they're afraid of judgment. There's so many, um, needs that are really deeper, um, that in their mind, they, they haven't healed from in their, in their past to be able to move forward and say, you know, people are so conditioned not to put themselves first because they've been so conditioned to meet the needs of others all the time before their own. So it takes a lot to have the courage to fill your own cup and take the responsibility to be happy. We depend on everyone around us to make us happy. we, We don't take the full responsibility because we don't value ourselves enough to say, no, this is, and to really even know the feeling, we're so numb to even sometimes know what our feelings are surrounding things to say, I'm not happy. And I think I'd be happier letting this go and moving forward because then all these voices pop into your head. Oh, you're quitting. You're a quitter. Well, you know what? There's no such thing as quitting in my reality. There's no such thing as quitting in my children's lives because you know what? Unschoolers will take a class or a course or something for as long as they want until they've had their need met and then we'll be done with it and move on to the next thing. Now that really shocks people because they say, oh my gosh, so your, your child can sign up for a six week guitar lesson. And after three sessions, just stop. I said, hell yeah. Yeah. If it hits the point where they don't want to be going anymore, it's doing damage. We get to pick and choose and self-create our life based on what we're interested in for as long as we want without any penalty of stopping when we want to stop and be done with it. There is no such thing as quitting, but we're so conditioned to think that we need to follow through with these things because other people have set this agenda or this time frame that's an average of what might work for somebody, but it doesn't not necessarily working for you. I was a breastfeeding counselor and ran meetings in my area for three years, and it just wasn't working for me anymore. I wasn't finding the kind of joy in it. My my advocacy had shifted in other directions, and it was becoming it, it hit a wall where it was becoming more burdensome. Instead of getting excited and passionate about planning the meeting the next day, it would be more of a burden. Like, Ugh, I got to do this before I go to bed. And once it hits that point, I know it's time to stop, because no one's going to benefit from me jumping through hoops of what I think I should be doing. And um, that's just one example of that. I didn't quit being a breastfeeding counselor. I shifted to something else. And I, and you can't grow as a human being and move in a direction you want until you let go of where you don't want to be. You can't move forward with it, with working for yourself while you're still holding on to working for somebody else. You have to have the courage to let go of of something and step into the unknown. I know it's scary. We think that we're so safe and taken care of on some level by just going through these conditioned hoops that we've jumped through all these years, but you have to be willing to take a risk because that's the only way to happiness. So uh, that's just some thoughts about that. I don't know if that, no, that answers your question.
3: <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of us feel, uh, maybe I shouldn't speak for other people, but definitely for myself, I, I've got a lot of ping pong balls bouncing around in my head and um, it really helps and I'm smiling ear to ear while you talk to hear your passion as you yourself bounce around your own ping pong balls, but but always in a positive manner and a, a committed and passionate manner. And I think that that's inspiring um, to me. At least.
2: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I just, um, if I can help people become more free and, and shift to more joy through letting go of what they think they should be doing and really healing that inner child that is so afraid of rejection and so afraid it all comes down to being afraid you're not going to be loved and accepted. Because we weren't, we were never loved and accepted unless we did what others told us we should be doing. And so it, it, most of the time, oh, I'd have to say all the time, it stems from that place. And so you really have to like ask yourself in these situations, am I happy? And and why am I afraid to leave this situation, this job, this volunteer position, this whatever it is? And it's because you're afraid of rejection, you're afraid of judgment, and you have to put your, your happiness, which is something you've maybe never done. It's something our culture doesn't value. You need to put your happiness first and your needs first because you know what? Nobody else is going to. If you're going to lay around waiting for other people to make you happy your whole life, you're going to be sad your whole life because you have to own that. You have to own that responsibility. And through doing so, your children learn that that's the way you're supposed to be in this world. That's the way you're meant to be is to take the responsibility for your own happiness and grab the reins and just pull your life on the course you want it to go and stop waiting for someone else to do it for you or waiting for... The answer, you're the answer. Wow, the two hours went by pretty quick. What? I'm sorry, what? I
0: was just saying it flew right by.
2: Yeah, it really did. Um, Well, if we don't have any more questions.
0: We have one person who says he wants any time left, so I'm going to see if I can get him on.
2: Yeah, I think we have time, sure.
0: Uh, So the
6: the question that I had for uh, Dana was... uh, well, I, I actually wanted to be a, a science teacher and I called in last week and I was, I was actually, um, in the middle of getting my credentials to become a, a science teacher for public school. And now I'm really starting to question that. And, uh, I, <laughs> I guess I just wanted to know, like, uh, l- l- there's a, this need that I have because I I, re- I really want to pass on my knowledge and I, I really want to help people grow and and all this stuff uh, and and share my passion and I'd, I'd love a forum to do that but I don't think that uh, schooling is, is really the way to do that and I know that there's online resources but uh, there's there there's a there's a bit of a disconnect because if you wanted to do something in a laboratory, there's a lot of hands-on learning that you, you really have to do. And, uh, so, so I guess, how do I, how would she suggest me doing this?
2: Wow. Like, it's really interesting how my life, the course of my life goes because I run conferences in the country, one in Texas, one in New Hampshire. And, I was just saying to a friend that's helping me with everything that oh my god, I wish that there was a scientist or someone that taught science or someone that was open to sharing science with unschooled kids that we could have come to every conference to have a different cool experiment or a different hands-on experience. You know, not that I'm saying that you need to do that, but I'm saying like there is a need, especially with the explosion of people becoming aware of this type of parenting and, and educational perspective. Y- you you can fill your own niche. You can completely make Anything you want based on this one interest. You know, there's there's people that are hungry for what you offer that would love to have you come and share with with children in a respectful way that's not forced with kids that really want to be there and learn from you. Um, something like science and different levels. So... Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. You could just maybe you could Google jobs for scientists, roles for scientists, options for scientists and really start delving in and thinking outside the box. Like you might be conditioned to think that the only way to teach science is in school, but oh my goodness, there's hundreds of ways. There's ways that haven't even been conceived yet that you could invent and create and be the first to offer it. You just have to have the confidence to do it. You could have a traveling van that goes around to different conferences or fairs and people can go in and do experiments. I mean, there's so many Wait, my my mind is exploding when I hear these cool ideas, because I know if you can just um, think outside the box, you will create the perfect role for yourself <laughs> in regards to science.
6: Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how people would feel about me going around in a van. <laughs> <I was>
2: think- <laughs> that would be a little creepy, I guess. Like, you know what I was thinking of and what came to my mind with those, like the, the libraries that I used to travel around? I used to live in the projects in the inner city, and we used to have these... Um, like libraries on wheels. It was like the the I don't know books on wheels. We'd go in and we check stuff out. I was thinking of like a mobile classroom, but yeah, some dude in a lab coat coming out of a van going, "Let me teach you some science." <laughs> Might be a little freaking creepy. So maybe not that. Don't take all of my ideas. We're we're in a brainstorming session here right now, dude. Don't don't take it all personal.
6: Fair, sure, sure. uh... <laughs> fair.
2: So the thing is, like, you got to be willing to brainstorm. Like, I sit down with my my team for planning a conference, and we for two hours we have this like saying that everybody just blurt out whatever comes to their mind no matter what it is don't be afraid to think it sounds too silly part of brainstorming and creating a reality and creating a profession or creating something is to not be afraid to say these things that when you think about deeper you're like a eh, scientist in a van Nah, it's probably not going to work
6: <laughs> well okay so um here i'm at a bit of an impasse right at the moment because uh like, I'm, I'm in the process of getting a teacher's certificate, and I've, you know, it's not a huge investment, so I can walk away from it, but it's a little bit logically inconsistent with what I've been learning from, oh, uh, well, first off, like, this program today, like, I, I wasn't sure about the call-in show today, but you are, like, an excellent, you, you're an excellent guest host, just, it, it's been mind-blowing, in fact.
2: Well, wow, thank you so much. It's been so fun. Uh,
6: but there's a little bit of logical inconsistency for me. Not I mean, there's a, a cognitive dissonance with what I've been learning from Freedom Main Radio. And like you, you've been very eye-opening. Like, should I continue trying to get my teacher's certificate? So I mean, maybe I won't end up being a public school teacher, but is it, is, do you think that it's worth still pursuing that? with Because it, it is a system of coercion, and I don't want to feed into that. What do you think?
2: Well, do you want to? Do you want to finish it?
6: Uh, well, I think there might be some value in it. I mean, it it lends a little bit more credence. I mean, I have a degree in biochemistry, so that, I think, is enough credence to start teaching science and stuff. But I don't know. Uh People generally look on certifications favorably, I guess.
2: Well, I guess it just depends on what you value yourself and, you know, how you value yourself is how other people are going to value you. So if you're going to feel more valuable and more full and more whole through having that certificate and you won't have that confidence level without it. I mean, you're definitely going to reflect not being confident and not whole by not having it. So it really depends on just your feelings. There's no right or wrong. If you're feeling like you, I mean, I don't value any kind of certificate or degree necessarily um, when I'm like talking to people about like advice about certain things. I mean, I obviously, if you're going in for surgery, you want a doctor that's gone through the program, but um, it just really depends on you and what your wants and needs are. And if you'd be happy doing that.
6: Right. And that's fair. Um, and there, there's a great saying uh, I don't know where it comes from, but you you judge a blacksmith by his anvil and like people judge I guess uh, professionals by pieces of paper which is just kind of weird to me but uh, the credentialing process <laughs>
2: Well, I'm sorry about that. I was going to say it depends on which direction you want to go. And if you're moving further away from being part of an institution, the people that you're going to be connecting with aren't going you know, to value that as much as somebody would that would be working in an institution. So when in doubt, don't. You don't have to make the decision right now. If I was you, I would just sit and really think about it. You, you don't have to make any decision. Everything can be put on hold until you're clear. When you're clear in which way you should go, it'll be a really definite answer. It'll be a yes or no when you're not clear. So don't make any decision yet until you are.
6: That's that's good advice. And uh, well I'm I'm slotted to, to take two tests for the certification process because it's very uh kind of drawn out, I guess. But after those I think I should take a step back. Um and that's really all I had, so unless you have anything else.
2: No, thank you so much for your question. Right. And hey, if you decide to go in a different direction, I would hire you in a second to come and share science with these kids at these conferences because there are some cool people doing this kind of thing, but there's not many of them, so um, look me up someday.
6: <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I'm kind of uh, in the process of, of starting a YouTube channel where I, I try and do um, – it's very early stages. It's called Do It Yourself Lab or Laboratory, and uh, I haven't haven't really gotten it off the ground. But I'm 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 playing with different ideas. So
2: definitely. Well, if you ever want anyone, if you ever want anyone to brainstorm with or to help move you in that direction, and you want to do a coaching call for a jobbing or starting your own business based on your passions, just look me up. I'm happy to chat with you anytime.
6: Certainly, and I love the show. So uh, keep it up. Thanks for taking my call.
2: Thanks. Okay, well, I think that we are at the end of the two hours. This has been amazing. It's been so enlightening. I loved the questions that we got, and it seems like they were all answered with everybody that called in and wrote in. So, um, if you have another question that you have for me that I couldn't get to, or you'd like to schedule some kind of coaching call, whether it's for unschooling, parenting, unjobbing, anything I could support you with, please look me up. My website is danamartin.com. That's D A Y N A M A R. (laughs) M-A-R-T-I-N. <laughs> it's been a long two hours, and I'm hungry. So uh, thank you guys so much for having me today.
1: Oh, Dana, thank you so much for for guest hosting the show. This has been fantastic. And before you go, um, could you tell people a little bit about the the Life Rocks conference coming up?
2: Yeah, I run two conferences, and one is in New Hampshire, in North Conway, New Hampshire. It's April 1st through the 6th, so I'm deep in the trenches of the final preparations for this event. We have about 500 people coming. It's Amazing. It's right in the White Mountains at the Red Jacket Hotel and Indoor Water Park. Um, If you want to check out the lineup of speakers and events, you can go to liferocksconference.com, and I'll be speaking and presenting there as well. And then um, August 22nd through the 26th in Dallas, Texas, I run the Rethinking Everything Conference, and we are so happy to have Stefan presenting this year. I'm so excited to meet him in person and um work together so that conference is the rethinking just it's not excuse me it's rethinkingeverything.com so you can check that out too and register we'd love to have your family there and this is a family event both of them are for all ages so thank you so much for having me it's been a real honor to be here and i look forward to stefan's show when he comes back from vacation and and uh being on another one of his shows to answer more viewers questions so thank you guys
1: Oh, thank you, Dana. And yes, Steph will be back next week. He'll be back from Belize. So he'll be available to take your questions and comments. And uh, thanks again, Dana. It was a fantastic show.
2: You're welcome. Thank you. Goodbye.